0: All right. Hey, Rockbridge. Hope everybody is doing well wherever you have gathered in uh, one of our multiple campuses across Northwest Georgia and up into the Tennessee Valley. My name is Matt. We're glad, so glad that you're here and uh, excited that we've got to get ready for our, uh, our Easter season. So as you just heard on the video, we have a brand called We Got Hope for Easter. And hopefully you've sent that text in and you're going to get some resources and tools for that. You have red cards so we can know how to who to pray for and how to pray for you. So definitely want to take advantage of the incredible opportunity we have at Easter to connect more people to life in Christ. Also on, uh, on those connect cards, you see all the service times at all of our campuses and locations that are available. So encourage you to kind of eyeball one of those times and, and, and start planning and start praying and start preparing. All right, so I want to just pray for us. I want to pray for Easter and the opportunity that we have coming up to to invite and to help people hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then I want us just to pray for our services here together this weekend. We will be observing... We don't do this often, but we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper together at the end of all of our services. So I just want to invite us to be preparing for that uh, important time in, in observing something Jesus has commanded us to do. Let's pray together, Rockbridge. God, thank you for everybody here today. Thank you, God, that uh, you're with us and that you've got a word for us. You've got something of of yourself that you want to give us. And God, just open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to see it and give us the faith to receive it. God, we pray for Easter and all these names and all the people that we're thinking about and, and all our different platforms at the clubs that we're a part of, the teams that we're a part of, our classes, God, our jobs, our neighborhoods. Everything, our family members who may not have a church home or may not be connected yet to Jesus. And and God, we're just going to pray for them. And I ask you, God, to open them up to receive an invitation to come here about the resurrection, what it means uh, that Jesus is alive. God, prepare us right now, though, to go into your word. And may your word go into our hearts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen and amen. So today we are at like the finish line. Of Ezra, we have been walking through the Old Testament book of Ezra. It's called Ezra: The Way Back. And just as a way of review, so you're caught up in case you missed anything. You always grab the sermons online uh, at Rockbridge.cc. But just in case you missed what we did, what we've journeyed with is 50,000 people, and then another wave of about 1,750 people, uh, uh, Jews who traveled back from exile. They were exiled under Persian and Babylonian captivity into Babylon, and they were allowed to come back to rebuild the the altar, rebuild the temple, rebuild the wall, rebuild the city of Jerusalem, which had been ransacked about 70 years prior. And we've just journeyed with those folks. They've reached the finish line. Last week, uh, they started getting going again and rebuilding uh, everything. And and it's just an amazing thing that we're kind of reached the end. And and, and they're kind of crossing the finish line of this race. And it just strikes me uh, interesting, though, that we all love good outcomes, right? We love happily ever after. We love to reach the goal, to reach the destination, to cross the finish line. Hopefully, we're, if we're racing, hopefully we're in first, or hopefully the person or the team we're cheering for uh, gets to the end. I mean, we like results. You know, we've got a scoreboard, and we like to know that we've won, and we, we like positive outcomes. We like the destination, the bottom line of the stock market. How did everything go today? So there's a tendency for us... To celebrate getting there and arrivals and outcomes and results and destinations. But but the question I want us to wrestle with today, this weekend, and our time together is if God if what if God is after more than just the bottom line? What if God is after more than just the final score? What is God? What if it's not just about getting to the finish line and crossing the finish line? What if God is after something more than that? And a lot of times, you know, even in Christianity, we make Christianity out to be a destination religion. Hey, as long as I get to heaven, you know, and, and that's the goal and everything that happens in between is sort of eh, you know negotiable and immaterial. So we can be all about the end and forget about the journey and forget about things in the middle. And so when I say what if God's after more what if there's more that for these Jews that have returned in exile? What if there's more than just, hey, at the end of the day, the stocks look good and we are rebuilding the city? What if, what if there's more that God is interested in? And that leads us to Ezra 9 and 10. And here's my question. and Ezra, I have the question of why is Ezra 9 and 10 even in the Bible? Because here's the thing. We've been talking, and this covers, you know, uh, uh, like about 100, 150-year period of time, and the whole time we have been talking about rebuilding The city reestablishing the altar and worship. And in Ezra 9 and 10, we don't talk about that at all. I mean, the destination, the goal, the finish line, the scoreboard aren't even mentioned. There's something else that gets mentioned. And it's that more that I want us to see and want us to realize. It's, It's that more that God is interested in. So God is interested in more than just where you go, maybe when you die. God is interested in more than you just getting baptized or, or you attending church. God is interested in more than you, know, you doing a couple of good things and being a good person. And, and so the Ezra 9 and 10 is this more that oftentimes we minimize or we miss. So we'll pick it up reading in Ezra chapter 9 We'll start reading in verse 1 says, after these things, and this is four months have passed since Ezra 8. And Ezra 8 kind of ended on a high note because, hey, we're approaching the finish line. We're rounding third base, and I don't think, you know, we're going to get a run score. We're going to cross the goal line. After these things had been done, so we're talking about celebration, completion. There's something else, though. There's more. The leaders approached me and said, They approached Ezra, the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, have not separated themselves from the surrounding peoples whose detestable practices are like those of the Canaanites. So the Jews that have returned and the Jews that are in the, around the vicinity of Jerusalem have started doing something with these de- people who do detestable things, and they, they are very detestable things. Indeed, the Israelite men have taken some of their daughters as wives. Now, the the Hebrew here is unclear if they got married or if they were just having sexual relations or if they were just cohabitating. But whatever they were doing, they weren't supposed to be doing so that the holy seed has become mixed with the surrounding peoples. Now, holy seed is a significant term for Jews because of a promise made to Eve and Adam in Genesis 3 that the seed of the woman would crush the the head of the snake or the head of Satan. The seed of the woman is ultimately who would come from the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus, that's the Messiah, that's the Son of God, the one whose resurrection we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks. So basically what they're saying is, Is the Jewish men have become unequally yoked with these with the Canaanites who are not Jews, who don't worship the God of the Bible, and and so the holy seed has sort of been mixed or corrupted or polluted or become impure. The leaders and officials have taken the lead in this unfaithfulness. Now, here's our temptation. But God, we rebuilt the wall. God, we, we reestablished worship. We reestablished the altar. God, we traveled 900 miles against great opposition and great odds. And we've crossed the finish line. I mean, you sent us back to rebuild, reestablish, restore. And we've done that. But God said, no, 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 no. But you've missed something. You, you've missed something. It would be like us saying, God, I haven't missed church. God, I, I've been given some money. I, I've been you know, treating my wife a little kinder. God, I, you know, I, I got baptized. Is that good? And God says, there's something more. Don't miss this. Walking with God requires a commitment to Holiness holiness. Now, now, listen, that's not like a popular word, okay? It's kind of a scary word. Now, we all like, you know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. We don't like 1 Peter 1, 16, which says, be holy as God is holy. So, we like love that seems unconditional, and, and, and we don't like holiness. And this, this is like a radical word, and sometimes we can maximize the grace of God at the expense of God's holiness, And we can come up with, well, nobody's perfect, and God understands. We can say, oh, God will just forgive me. Uh, But listen, God doesn't understand. God's not just about us crossing a finish line, checking a block, and saying, hey, we got baptized. Hey, we went to church. Hey, we rebuild the altar if we're not committed to holiness. Now, the word holiness just means separated unto. Separated to. Distinguished. Now, we think it's a, it's a radical word. We think holiness is for a select few people. And usually that's not, not including us. We think holiness is like a, maybe a goody-goody or someone who's self-righteous or thinks they're better than someone else. Not to God. God says, you're my people. Just like I would say to Beth, you're my wife. I want my wife to be separated exclusive to me, right? God wants you if you're his child, you're his son or daughter. He's like, I want you separated wholly unto me. This is part of God's plan from the beginning. Look at Ephesians 1, 4, even before he made the world. So before you and I existed, what did he do? He loved us because he is love and chose us in his son Jesus to be holy. So God didn't choose you just to be forgiven God didn't choose you just to be in church a few times a year, a few hours a week. God didn't choose you just to say, hey, I've done some good deeds. God chose you to be separated, to be holy, just the same way you hope that for your spouse, just the same way you hope for your kids that they stay away from some bad stuff and are committed to some good stuff. I mean, we're all like a degree of holiness. And God says, hey, I'm no different. I, 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 I've purposed from the beginning for you to be holiness so you and I can't minimize holiness. That's the more God's often after that we often neglect or forget about. Peter says it this way, be holy because I'm holy. Makes sense though, doesn't it? If God wants us to be in relationship with him and he's holy, we got to be holy too. Isn't that what we do at marriages, Right? And marriage is, hey, you're my one and only. Death do me part, right? No more dating. No more dating other people. We're exclusive. We're intimate. You're the one. Holiness. Holiness in marriage is, everybody that's been married wants that. If you've got an employee, you want them to be wholly committed to your company. If you're an athlete, wholly committed to your team. Holiness committed and separated this. This. And so we have to understand something about God. He's not satisfied with less than everything or all. So when you become his son or you become his daughter, listen, 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 listen. He's not satisfied with just part of you. He wants all of you. He loves you that much. He's jealous for all of you. What if I said to Beth, Beth, I'll be your husband on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and every other weekend. I wouldn't go real well. <laughs> right? Listen, let's, let's put it in these terms. What if I said, hey, I'm going to act like a Christian and be a pastor about four days a week. The other three, though, you all should have a problem with that. You would have a problem with that. You and I, we're no different, and God expects all. He's a 24 7 God, holy, because He's jealous for our love and jealous for our relationship. Now, before everybody gets up and says, oh, I, I don't, I'm not that committed, listen, I want you to hear this point because it's, it's important. He is for our highest happiness. God's, God's, God wants you to be as happy as possible in Him and, he, and, and for as long as possible. And the only way you can have the highest happiness that lasts forever is to be happy in Him. And happiness requires holiness. You think you know that happiness requires holiness. The people that enjoy playing a sport the most, like an NFL player or in Major League Baseball, you know it's opening day weekend this weekend, the people that enjoy that the most are the people who have been most holy to the game. They're most committed to their sport, so they become good at it, passionate about it, and and, and so they're happy when they're playing that game, playing that sport. The couples that stay married the longest and forever or till death does them part is because they made a commitment to be holy to one another, and they are so committed to their marriage when you hear them talk about it, it's like, man, that's a happy couple. So happiness and holiness are not contradictions, In fact, happiness holiness supports your longest, most enduring, and best form of happiness. And could it be? Could it be sitting in here today that the reason you're dissatisfied with God, or the reason you would rate your relationship with God as on the rocks or non-existent, is because you haven't been as committed to holiness as God is jealous for you? That God's more committed to you than you're committed to God. And then you look like, what? God, what's wrong with me? Or what's wrong with you? Why aren't you? You seem, uh, It's silent in my prayers. Church is sort of dry. The Bible is sort of dry. I don't even think I'm going to come to church anymore because meh. And God's sitting up and said, look, I haven't moved. You've just thought holiness wasn't part of your journey with me when it is. But holiness and happiness coincide. Look at this in the Word of God. 1611 of the Psalms, you will make known to me the path of life. And look what that path includes. In your presence, and God's holy, so we could say in your holy presence, is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. In God's presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, and we could say in your holy right hand, because God's holy, right? There are pleasures forever. So holiness and happiness don't contradict. In fact, holiness, or happiness maximizes holiness when it's in God. So Ezra gets this news, and how do we think Ezra responds? Now listen to his response. When I heard this report about the intermingling of the Israelite men with the Canaanite and others uh, pagan women, I tore my tunic and robe, pulled out some of the hair from my head and beard, and sat down devastated. Now, my ask is: What's your reaction to Ezra's reaction? Because I think from our, from you know, we want to. We're very image conscious, and a lot of times, what's going on on the inside, we mask by what's what we look like on the outside. Ezra just makes his outside look like his inside. That's no hypocrisy. That's no pretension. That's, I'm not trying to appear one way when actually on the inside I'm devastated. He's undone. He's broken because the people have violated the holy requirements of a holy God, and so he's broken. And so ask yourself this question: Okay, when's the last time you felt this way about your unholiness or about your sinfulness? When's the last time that's happened? Because see, listen, listen. We, I'm, I'm a big grace guy. I mean, the the price Jesus paid is always big enough to get you out of the mess you made. His blood is that sufficient. God will forgive anyone and everyone. No one is out of reach of God's love. No one is out of reach of God's grace. I, I preach that. I believe that with every fiber of my being. But you cannot minimize the holiness of God in order to maximize this concept of cheap grace or the grace of God. We cannot sit out here and say, oh, I'll just confess my sins and God will just forgive me if we're not committed to walking in holiness. We can't play games with God's holiness. In in, in fact, I'll take it another, another step and say that our view of holiness really corresponds to our view of God. And if at some point our sinfulness is not devastating to us, then our, our view of God is often incorrect. If you go through the Bible, and when anybody has a manifest encounter with God, and I'm talking Isaiah 6, I'm talking Mount of Transfiguration, I'm talking Book of Revelation, usually the two words that come out of their mouths are holy and worthy. Usually the physical response is they fall down. Because they're undone. So so we have to have a view of God that is higher than he's my friend. Or he's my bosom buddy. He's a holy God. And he's jealous for you. And if we don't see him that way, then today maybe is an opportunity for you to correct your view of God. So what happens next? We get another view. So everyone now, so it goes beyond Ezra. Everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles. While I sat devastated until the evening offering. At the evening offering, I got up from my time of humiliation. Now listen, here's the thing. This is is what's even crazier. Ezra hasn't shacked up. With these Canaanite women. He hasn't committed this sin. But he owns it. Because he's part of the people of God. So I I, I want to say this Rockbridge. Listen. 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 When one of us sins. In this church. And we call this church our church. It affects all of us. When our, when our nation, when our cities sin, you know, when we have systemic sins of, of, of racism or ignoring the poor or defaming, you know, the name of God or defiling marriage or not standing up for the cause of the unborn, it's on all of us to be humble in the presence of a holy God. So I got up from the time of my humiliation with my tunic and robe torn. And what we're seeing now is that if, if walking with God requires a commitment to holiness, it also requires a commitment to repentance. So, so listen, God's not expecting perfection. God is always expecting repentance, which is a new direction. Repentance is my mind is changed. Repentance is I'm undone, I'm broken. And we're going to talk about what repentance looks like in just a minute. So if we're committed to God's holiness, we have to be committed to repentance. Now listen, 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 listen. Repentance is not, God, please forgive me for my sins. Amen. It's a little, it's deeper than that. We know it's deeper than that because we've got a man who's humiliated, devastated, sitting here with half his beard torn out, with his tunic and robe torn. So walking with God includes this commitment to repentance. And we're going to look at what repentance looks like. So then I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face towards you, my God, because of our iniquities are higher than our heads and our guilt is as high as the heavens. We're not sugarcoating anything. We're not trying to appear less wrong we're just laying it out there. So repentance involves seeing our sin correctly. Seeing our sin correctly. Okay? And, and, and I would say there's about three things that that requires or that mandates. Uh, so first, see the sin correctly, which means we have to oftentimes see the sin beneath the sin. See the sin beneath the sin. So the, the sin that came to the surface is hey the, the Israelite men are shacking up or marrying or cohabitating or having sex with the Canaanite and, and a lot of other ites, women in the region. That's the sin that bubbled up from the surface. Underneath that, though, is simply this. They prefer sex and women to God. and That's it. And, and they, I'll ha- I, I want to have it my way on Friday night and look good on Sunday morning. So there's two sins there. So you got to see the sin that comes up, like the iceberg that you finally see. Oh, they're shacking up with the Canaanite women when they're commanded not to. But really, they have unbelief in their hearts that they just don't like. They, just, they prefer that to God. So, so, you know, it'd be like this. If your sin is, I, hey, I get drunk on Friday and Saturday night. I didn't say you had a beer. I said you got drunk, Right you could have a couple of sins beneath that sin because you're using beer and alcohol because you want to be, fit in with a crowd. So your sin is you prefer to please the crowd more than you prefer to please God. That's your, that's your second sin. So you're not just, oh, God, forgive me, I got drunk. God, I'm living for the crowd's pleasure rather than your pleasure. Or, or maybe it's because that's how you handle stress and alcohol is your refuge when God wants to be your refuge. So that, that's, your, that's your second. So you see there's sin and then there's sin beneath the sin. And, and here's what I've discovered. Please hear me. Repentance has to be thorough. It's not enough for you just to quit getting drunk on Friday night. It's not enough for these guys just to, get, you know, to quit the, the shacking up with the ladies. They got to get back and understand that really sin and repentance also is understanding who sin is against. So you know what makes sin bad? Is it the act See, as long as it's just about the act, we'll find reasons to excuse the action. Hear me. As long as you see sin as just what you did or what you're doing, you'll find reasons. And I, let me give you an example. Oh, it's just a white lie. As if that's lesser word, you know, if that's, that's not as serious. Oh, or, or, you, or, you, or you can say, oh, but we're in love. And, and love is kind of what adults do, right? They make it. You know, I mean, so you can find reasons if it's just about the action, but as soon as you realize all sin is against that holy, jealous for you God, then it's, oh my goodness. There's no excuse in that. There's no excuse in that. Right? And so, so think of it this way like, I like peanut butter, love peanut butter. Now, imagine imagine one of my kids has a peanut allergy. Suddenly, having peanut butter around my son is wrong. God's allergic to sin. Not the sins that you think are bad or the sins that you think, oh, maybe God understands on that one. No, he doesn't. He's allergic to it. And he's jealous for you, all of you. So you got to lay it down. And repent. And then there's a difference when we repent. Godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is I want to save face. I'm sorry I got caught. I want to minimize the consequences. Godly sorrow is I'm tearing my beard out. I'm tearing my robe because that's what my heart looks like. I've offended and hurt and grieved. The holy God who is jealous for me and my love. All right. Repentance continues. We go to verse 11. Though we are slaves, our God has not abandoned us in our slavery. So God hadn't abandoned them. That's good news for every single person here. So this is not just, hey, do better, try harder, don't make God mad. God's still with us in this. He has extended grace, undeserved, to us in the presence of the Persian kings, giving us relief so that we can rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. But it's more than rebuilding the house of our God We have to rebuild our very lives because we're holy unto the God who's jealous for us. To give us a wall in Jude and Jerusalem, now our God, what can we say in light of this? In light of what we've done, what can we say? And there's no answer. There's no excuse. There's no defending it. There's no, but you don't know what they did to me. But you don't know what I went through. I'm the victim here, God. No, 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 no. What can we say to this? For we have abandoned the commands you gave through your servants, the prophets, saying the land you are entering into possess is an impure land. The surrounding peoples have filled it from end to end with their uncleanliness by their impurity and detestable practices. So do not give your daughters to their sons in marriage or, because that word's unclear, Uh, relationships or take their daughters for your sons. Our evil deeds and terrible guilt. Look at the adjectives. Our evil deeds and terrible guilt. So part of repentance is making specific and voluntary confession. This is not, oh God, forgive me for my sins. Amen. This is getting so specific. God, we have shacked up With the people you told us not to, we have preferred physical pleasure that you have said is wrong as opposed to the spiritual pleasure of being your kids. This is God. I'm sorry I said that because, God, it came from a wicked spot in my heart. This is specific and voluntary confession. Not wait until I got caught. It's I go to the word of God. And I let it search me. I don't miss church because I need the word of God to to speak to me. So I can find out if there's hidden faults in me. If there's sins that I've committed that I need to deal with. And so we're doing this. And as we prepare our hearts in just a few moments to take the Lord's Supper. We're looking and saying, okay God. Because right now what I've been praying for is that right now you kind of know. Where you've not been holy to him. And look, he's not trying to pursue you, to pay you back. He just wants you back. All of you back. So don't hear me. God's out to get you. I'm not saying that. That all went on Jesus on the cross, the one that this temple foreshadows. So he's not trying to pay you back. He's just jealous to get you back and that you would want him back. And then he goes on with his prayer. He says, you, our God, have punished us less than our inequities deserve. Less than our iniquities deserve. There is not, if you are taking a breath and listening to me preach right now, there is not a single one of you that cannot and should not say this when I ask you how you're doing better than I deserve by the grace of a holy, jealous God. We have punished ourselves. He's punished us less than we deserve and has allowed us to survive. Should we break your commands again? God, wouldn't you become so angry with us that you would destroy us? That's what we deserve. Leaving neither remnant nor survivor. Lord God of Israel, you are righteous for we survive as a remnant today. We're only here because of you. And here we are before you with our guilt, though no one can stand in your presence because of this. Look at this. Look what he says. There's a contradiction here. No one can stand in your presence, yet here we are before you. What's he doing? We don't have a a right to be in your presence, God. But we're in your presence, God, because the only thing we can do is bet the farm that you are gracious and merciful to sinners like us. The only, the only card we have to play, God, is that you'll give us what less than we deserve. Because we see that you're gracious and you treat us better than we deserve. And so part of repentance is this. It's not staying focused on our sin and ourselves. Because a lot of times when we sin and we know we've sinned and we're devastated and we're broken and we're willing to tear our beards out. A lot of times when we sin, we just, oh, my sin. And we just keep looking at the sin and and the devil puts us on rewind. Here's what you did. Here's what you did. Here's what you did. And we think God's like punishing us and God's like this reminding God. No, no, no. What, what, what Ezra does is he, he looks at his, the sins, he looks at himself, he gets humble, he gets repentant, he gets broken, and then he looks to God in complete faith and says, God, I'm looking to you. My hope is in you. My hope is not in me cleaning up my act. My hope is in not doing better next time. I got to look to God in complete faith. So right now you got a specific sin in your heart and a specific sin in your mind. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Quit looking at it. Right now, you know sometimes you get a mirror in front of your face and it's like man I'm no good, I'm no good I'm no good quit looking at yourself and I want you to look at God. I want you to look at God who in a few weeks we're going to celebrate the fact that that God went to a cross with your specific sin with the specific sin you've been committing most of your life or you've just been committing a couple of weeks ago you quit looking at the sin, quit looking at yourself and I want you to look at a God look at God and I want you to start banking and betting on the fact that he is gracious and he He's merciful. While Ezra prayed and confessed, weeping and falling face down before the house of God, an extremely large assembly of Israelite men and women and children gathered around him. Because when one of us sin, we all sin. And the people also wept bitterly. So we have corporate repentance then Shechaniah responded to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying or having sex or living with or shacking up with. However, we don't know how, exactly what the Hebrew word means. Foreign women from the surrounding people. But there is still hope for Israel in spite of this. Boom. Oh. Let us therefore make a covenant enter back into relationship before our God, to send away all the foreign women and their children according to the counsel of my Lord, and of those who tremble at the command of our God, because he's holy and he's jealous, let it be done according to the law. Get up, for this matter is your responsibility, and we support you. Be strong and take action. We're not going to wallow in it anymore. We're going to get up We're going to be strong because God is hope, God is grace, God is mercy, God is love, God is jealous love, and He's holy. And we're going to get up and we're going to resolve to stop, to quit, to change. Repentance is not, I'm sorry. Repentance is, I'm sorry, I'm specific with what I've done. I agree it's against a holy God, and I am resolving to stop it, to quit it, to change no matter the cost. And then... Repentance is also renewing, or maybe for some of you here today, beginning a relationship with God. God, I want to reenter a relationship with you marked by holiness. I don't know, wherever this hits you, would you receive the word of God and now prepare to take the Lord's Supper as I pray and your campus and venue pastors come up to lead us in the observance. Of the Lord's Supper. We pray together, all of our locations, every head bowed, every eye closed. God, still our hearts, show us the reality of our sin, but God, don't keep us looking at that sin. Turn our eyes, turn our hearts to King Jesus on a cross. Turn our hearts, turn our eyes to your grace to your mercy, to your forgiveness. And as we prepare, God, to renew our relationship with you, we do so with a commitment to holiness and also a commitment to full, complete, and thorough repentance. We love you, Jesus. We love you so much because you have loved us in spite of us. You've been jealous for us when we wanted nothing to do with you. And it's only by your grace that we're still here. And it's only by your grace and mercy that we have hope. And it's only, God, because you are amazingly faithful to your word and to your people that we can renew our covenant with you by remembering the observance of the Lord's Supper. So, God, may we use this time to meet with you in faith, in hope, only because of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.